and let's prepare our hearts and our minds for the Word of God, which comes from the book of Ephesians this morning. You can follow along in your Bibles or in your apps, and it will also be in the projector screen right behind me. The scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 to 23, and we'll read them both, a portion of it in Spanish and in English as well entirely. And I'm going to read just a very brief uh, uh, portion of it in Spanish, and then I'm going to ask our brother Francis to actually read for us in English, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 23. So you can open that in your Bibles or follow along in the projector screen right behind, uh, right behind me and um, just follow along with God's Word this morning in the book of Ephesians. And I'll go ahead and invite our brother Francis to come forward, and he will go ahead and uh, prepare to, uh, to read the Scripture for us. So let's hear with open hearts and open minds from the Word of God, from the book that we love, first in Spanish and then in English. Efesios capítulo 1, versículos 7 al 10, nos dice, En él, Jesucristo, también ustedes cuando oyeron el mensaje de la verdad, el evangelio que les trajo la salvación y lo creyeron, fueron marcados con el sello que es el Espíritu Santo prometido. Este garantiza nuestra herencia hasta que llegue la redención final del pueblo adquirido por Dios. Para alabanza de su gloria. Let's hear now from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 23. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I, I keep asking the that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the, in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who, who fills everything in every way. Amen. Amen. God, would you just meet us and speak to us today, Lord? Meet us in the midst of our questions, of our 
uh, anxiety, of our stress, of our loneliness. And today, Lord, by your word, would you comfort us? Help us, Lord, to believe that we're all here for a reason, God. We're all here for purpose. It's no mistake whatsoever. Move us toward you, Lord, this morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, very special welcome to everyone, especially if this is your first time here at Imago Church. We want to give you a warm welcome and hear a little bit more about your journey and your story as well. So just an encouragement to connect at the welcome table and spend at least five minutes after worship today to be able to connect with God and each other. As I mentioned earlier today, uh, th this, this church has this uh, wonderful, unique name, Imago. Imago means that we're created in the image of God. And that's actually a Latin word. It's where we get the English word image from and the Spanish word imagen from. But imago means we're created in the image of God. And God has really uh, gathered this community for a very specific purpose. The vision of Imago Church is that God would build us up to be a gospel-centered, multicultural community where hope is built through restored relationships. Restored relationships with God and restored relationships with each other. And as a church community, we've actually started a journey into a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is this pretty short book in the New Testament that actually has a huge mission uh, where we really see God's dreams expressed in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be in this series until mid-March. So please, in your own devotions, please be reading through the book of Ephesians as we prepare for the messages on Sundays and the studies on Tuesday. We did something similar earlier this year when we actually, earlier last year, when we looked at the book of Acts to really help us get a biblical basis for the second part of our vision statement, which is to be a multicultural community. And we saw in the book of Acts that a multicultural community is simply a picture of God's family. That has been God's family, the church, since the beginning, and we saw that in the book of Acts, that that is what the kingdom of God looks like. People who wouldn't ordinarily be together gathered around the worship of Jesus. And we're actually doing something similar this year in the spring and in the fall. We'll be focusing on the book of Ephesians and digging deep into it, going through every single chapter and verse as a church community so that we can see the biblical basis for the third part of our vision statement, which is hope through relationships. As we say every single week, we really do believe that we can experience the hope of Christ through restored relationships with God and with each other. So we're looking at the book of Ephesians to really be able to help us find that basis of hope through relationships. Every single Sunday, we actually gather here in worship and in opening up God's Word and in prayer and in fellowship. We gather here for a purpose. We actually gather around the good news of God. And the good news of God is called the gospel. Or in Spanish, Evangelio. Las buenas nuevas son el Evangelio. We gather around the good news of God, which is the gospel. And this same good news that we're gathered around this morning and that gathers us every single Sunday is the same story that was witnessed by a community of early Christian believers in an ancient city called Ephesus. 
Ephesus is actually a city that would be in modern-day Turkey today. And just a little bit of context and background in Ephesus. Ephesus, I wish we had an opportunity to show you the map of the ancient world, and you could see exactly where Ephesus was located. But Ephesus was actually the intersection of major trade routes. It was a major commercial center, very popular, very transient, people constantly coming and going. Uh, people of the surrounding communities actually passed through Ephesus, and they depended on Ephesus for some of their resources. You know, when I think about it that way, it actually reminds me a lot of where we live here in the Central Valley, which has been called by many the breadbasket of the state or of America. So Ephesus similarly was a major intersection where the surrounding communities actually depended on their resources and their trade to be able to sustain themselves. Ephesus had the equivalent. Many surrounding communities depended on their goods and resources. And it is to this community in Ephesus that God chooses to actually reveal something and reveals something really, really big. He does it through the writer. His name is Paul, the Apostle Paul. We talked about that a little bit last week. But in the book of Ephesians, we see that God, through the Apostle Paul, He reveals His dreams and His goals. Yes, you heard that right. God has dreams. God has dreams and goals for all of creation and all of humanity. And we get a glimpse of that and a taste of that in the book of Ephesians. We get a taste of God-sized dreams. And I love how it's really summarized in this book, in both uh, chapter 1, verse 10, and in chapter 1, verse 22, God's dream is this. God's dream is to bring all things together under Christ. We talked about last week how the two main themes in Ephesians are that God will restore all of creation and all of humanity through Jesus Christ, and that through that restoration, God will make a new people, the church, the family of God, people of different nations, tribes, and languages, and contexts to come together and be a new creation. So what we see, God's dream, is that He restores something precious that has been broken, and He makes something new and something beautiful. That's part of the God-sized dream. In verse, chapter, in verse 22 in chapter 1, we see here just, again, a glimpse of this God-sized dream where he puts it very simply. It says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be the head over everything for the church and in everything that exists. So, in other words, God's dream is to restore and put back together something precious that has been broken. And yes, when we all take a moment to actually reflect on that truth, we know that something is broken. Whether we look outside of us or we take a few moments to look deep within us, we can see that something is wrong, that something is broken and we need a Savior. 
We can all look around and we can tell that something is wrong and that the human heart tends toward wickedness and desperately needs a Savior. Just in the last few weeks, all it really takes, right, is just opening up a newspaper or magazine or turning on the news or whatever it may be. And we can just hear certain phrases that remind us that something is wrong, that something is broken, and we need a Savior. We need restoration. You can hear phrases like the coronavirus, which has impacted so many people around the world, including some of us that have loved ones in that part of the world. We can hear phrases like divided country and power dynamics, each side trying to blame the other one. We can hear phrases like sudden loss or all hope is lost. All of those phrases remind us that something is wrong, that we need a Savior to restore us, to make something new. This isn't enough. This isn't working. Yet on a more local level, some of you can say, well, Pastor Carlos, you know, for those phrases that you mentioned, that's exactly why I don't read the news. I just kind of turn my, my ears off to that and I don't pay attention. Okay, well, let's, let's focus here on a more local level. On a more local level here in Visalia and Tulare in the Central Valley, in many ways, part of what called me to plant a church here in this area was because of this need that is here. In many ways, this, is, this area is a tale of two communities where there is a sense of hope and also hopelessness. Where there are people that grew up here their whole life and feel connected, but also there's loneliness. Where there's wealth, but there's also disparity. Where there's really um, a sense of excitement of new things happening and also boredom. So within this area, within our church, even in a walking radius, we can find all kinds of signs that remind us that something is wrong and we need a Savior. In a walking radius just around here, we'll find drug use, homelessness, teen pregnancy, domestic abuse. All of those things run rampant. Friends, brothers, sisters, injustice and hopelessness, whether locally or internationally, they run rampant. But God is what we see in the book of Ephesians. And that's the biggest but that we'll ever see in the Bible. Ephesians comes up with this phrase over and over again. But God, but God does something about it. God enters into our story. He enters in through Jesus, through the incarnation, and God is committed to restoring that which has been broken. God is committed to bringing hope through relationships, through restored relationships. And God actually takes steps into fulfilling this God-sized dream of restoration. God has done a couple of things. He has come in and He's restored us back to Himself. And that's what's called actually vertical restoration. People that have been restored back to God. But then He doesn't just stop there. The next step in the God-sized dream that we see in Ephesians is that God has actually restored people to each other. 
and that's called horizontal restoration. So this, it's a two-part dream that God has here to restore us back to Himself and back to each other, to make something new, something precious out of something that was once broken. And these people that have been restored and reconciled to God and to each other have become a new people, a united body that is going to witness to these God-sized dreams to these God-sized dreams of hope and restoration for all of creation and all of humanity. And Scripture refers to this body of believers as none other than the church. Friend, brother, sister, that's you and that's me. Young one, elderly, that's you and that's me. We are all a part of this journey that God calls us into to be a part of a God-sized dream. The church in the scriptures is the people of God. The church in the scriptures in Ephesians is a people, not just an event, not just a place, not just something to do on Sunday. But in Ephesians, we see that the call is not just to go to church, but we see that the bigger call is to be the church. As the church, as the people of God, we're not merely maintaining an organization, but we are being who we are called to be. Imago Church, God invites us not to just go to church, but to be the church, to be the family of God, to be active members in God's family and take part in this God-sized dream. Some of you may be asking, well, Pastor Carlos, how does that even happen? How do we do that? How can we be the church? And that's going to be part of our focus this morning. Being the church means a couple of things. It means, first and foremost, being an active member in God's family, taking an active part in this God-sized dream. And we do that by living an audible witness and also a physical witness to the good news of the gospel. In other words, what it means to be the church is to walk the walk and talk the talk, not just one or the other, but to live out this life that God has called us to, to be a new people, a new people that really point to the hope of Christ, to point that Jesus has done something that has changed everything. People that point to the hope that out of something broken, God has done something new, and He can do it for each one of us. These are the God-sized dreams that we're invited to be a part of and participate in. When we live in such a way that the gospel should be wider known. And that's how, and we're, that's how we're a physical witness. But we're also an audible witness to this good news when we proclaim this, this gospel, the good news of God. This hope through relationship. But then the next step that we take in both audible and physical witness to the gospel is when we align ourselves, when we align our will with God's will. That's part of the focus for today. How can we align our will with God's will? So to put it very simply for us, we are the church, we are the family of God when we align our dreams with God's dreams, when we align our will with God's will, 
when we align with the, the, here's the truth about our will. Our will, or what we do with our choices, every single one of us here has the power of choice. You have the power to bless, to build up, to tear down with choices. And every single day, we make decisions on where we're going to align our will. We can align them in one direction or another direction. But here's the truth about where we align our will and about our choices. Every single day, where we align our will has consequences for every single day in this life and into eternity. And really, it comes down to aligning ourselves with one or the other. And we can align ourselves with one one or the other two postures. On the one hand, I can say, my will be done. And that's where I'm going to align my choices and my will. Or on the other hand, we can say, Lord, your will be done. My will be done or your will be done. Both of these two attitudes, these two choices will lead to very different places. When we serve one another and this world that God so passionately loves, we're aligning our will with God's will. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be uh, active members in God's family. By aligning our will with God's will, we do a couple of things. One, we partner with God in accomplishing these God-sized dreams for humanity, for creation, to be restored back to God through Jesus. And two, when we align our will with God's will, we're actually fulfilling our life purpose as active members in God's family. That's what we're created for not just to go to, but to be the church, to be the family of God, to be the hands and feet of Jesus right where we are, to align our purpose with God's greater purpose. That's what alignment does. Some of you may be asking, well, how exactly do we do that? How can we align our will with God's will? What does that even look like? Where do we begin? Well, a good place to begin is in this scripture that we're in. Ephesians is focusing on that as well, how we can align ourselves with God and with God's will and God's dreams. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says this. It says how we can gain access to aligning ourselves with the will of God. In chapter 1, verse 13, it says this. In Him, in Jesus, you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, let's just focus on that phrase. What does it mean to be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit? And how is it that seal that aligns us with the will of God? Well, the Holy Spirit is the great connector. Now, God is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the great connector, the one that connects us to God and to each other. The Holy Spirit gives us access to the will of God. This passage here says that we are sealed with a mark, the mark of the Holy Spirit. If you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the gift is the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the mark of the Holy Spirit. One way that we celebrate that seal and that mark is through baptism. 
And we hope to do baptisms this year. If you haven't been baptized yet, please talk to me, talk to one of our leaders, and together we'll celebrate that seal, that sign of the Holy Spirit over your life and as a part of this covenant community. So what exactly does that mean, to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? It means here in this passage, in verse 13, it says we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit has been stamped on us. There, the, the Holy Spirit is to be ingrained in us, in all of us who believe, and the Holy Spirit will go wherever we go, wherever we may go. We have access to the will of God when we ask, when we seek the guidance of the Spirit of God, which is with us, which has been sealed on us, and we can be very, very grateful for, uh, for that. You know, I didn't really understand the power or how important seals and stamps were until I really um, started doing more traveling and also got married with my wife, and we have an international family and all of that. But what I realized is that a seal is extremely important. Every single state in the U.S. actually has a seal. There's a seal of California. There's a seal of Nevada. And in fact, if you buy a house or if you uh, want to have a birth certificate, it has a seal. And in the same way, every single country in this world, almost 200 nations, each one has a seal. It has a stamp. And what exactly does that stamp do? What does that seal do? The seal allows access and entry. The seal allows the possibility of access, entry, and citizenship. You need a stamp or a seal to go into a new place. You need a stamp or a seal to enter into a new territory. It is the stamp or the seal that allows access and entry. And in the same way with new spiritual realities, which we see here in the book of Ephesians, we need a seal in order to gain access and entry into new spiritual realities, into new spiritual territories. And the Holy Spirit is that great seal, the one that gives us access into something new, into a new spiritual territory. The Holy Spirit is the great connector that gives us access to the will of God. So in order to take that step in aligning our will with God's will, first we need to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. The seal of the Holy Spirit is what gives us access to the will of God. Again, I didn't really understand how important seals were or these stamps that every single nation has or every single state has until the year 2016. In the year 2016, I was graduating from seminary, from graduate school, and I realized that seals really mean something because at the time we were going to uh, have this big visit from Charlotte's parents. Some of you know that uh, my wife's parents are over in the other side of the world in East Africa in the country of Uganda. And we were planning for them to come and to be able to uh, uh, visit our newborn son who had just been uh, born a few months before that. And they would also come for my uh, graduation. They were coming to visit us and uh, we purchased a ticket for them 
uh, many months before they were supposed to come and visit us. Uh, we thought everything was set to go, and then the day when they needed to come and visit us came, and then there was a problem. And the problem had to do with certain seals. We purchased the tickets months in advance, but we overlooked a tiny detail on their passport. A tiny detail which had to do with our good old northern neighbor, Canada. Oh, Canada. <laughs> Canada taught me a lesson here. My in-laws were going to visit the U.S., but they needed to make just a quick layover in the country of Canada. So they needed to make a quick connection flight in Canada. And it was just a connection flight. They weren't going to stay there. They were going to come here to the U.S., but I realized that there was a new law in Canada that they required something called a transit visa to be able to even make a connection in Canada. So according to Canada, you need the seal or the stamp of a Canadian visa to make a connection in Canada. Now, I researched this because I had never heard of this, and it ended up being true. But based on the passports that my in-laws were holding, it was required that their flights would have the, the seal of Canada on their passport. But as I researched it, I saw that, that that would be a new law. This was in 2016, and it would come into effect in October, but it was just May. So I thought we had plenty of time. I thought that we were good to go. Well, I was wrong. And instead, what happened, my in-laws get to the airport, and just as they're trying to check in to passport control, there's an officer that was checking what? He was checking the seal of Canada on their passport. They didn't have the seal of Canada. They didn't have the stamp of Canada on their passports. And this officer was not allowing people on the plane without the right seal, without the right stamp on their passport. The officer looked at the passports of my in-laws, and without much emotion, he just said, sorry, can't get on the plane. Well, why not? You don't have the seal of Canada. On your passport, said the officer, so I cannot let you on this plane. You do not have access without the right seal on your passport. Immediately, my in-laws called me, and I was on the phone with this border customs officer, and I tell you, we were going back and forth. It was an extreme frustration, and I pray God the church never sees me like that. But it was real. It was serious. It got raw. But we were going around in circles. I was telling this officer over and over and over again that the transit law does not come into effect until October. It is May. So the law isn't in effect. The officer would just reply, but they don't have the seal of Canada on their passport, so I can't let them on the plane. Access is denied. Sorry. I realized after some time that I wasn't going to win. I wasn't going to win this battle. Me and this customs guy argued on the phone for a while until it set in slowly that I was going to lose the battle. But the war wasn't over. I had a next step. 
There was nothing I could say or convince this person to let them in. It was only one thing that would give this officer, that would allow this officer to give them access to that new territory, to that new place. It was only the seal of Canada that would allow them access. So we had to resort to plan B, which was to buy my in-laws tickets to a different flight that avoids Canada altogether. Oh, Canada, you made me suffer. I'll never forget it. But here's the truth that I learned from that experience. You need a stamp or a seal to go into a new place. You need a stamp or a seal to get access to new territory. The stamp or a seal is what allows access and what allows even new citizenship. In verse 13, it tells us a little bit more about that, that the Holy Spirit is the great connector, the one that gives us access to the will of God. It says here that the Holy Spirit has been sealed on us. In Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And it keeps going in verse 14. It says, since we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, that seal is the guarantee of our inherent inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So here's the truth. Here's something that I want us all to hold on to this morning. If you have placed your trust and your faith in Jesus, then the seal of the Holy Spirit is on you. You have access to God. You have access to new territories, to new spiritual realities. And guess what? Even when we do not feel that we deserve the inheritance, or when we feel that we don't deserve the access to God and to these new spiritual realities, guess what? The Holy Spirit's stamp can remind us that it is ours, that you have access, regardless of how you feel. This access that we have to God is more than a feeling. Truth is more real than just a feeling. It's more real than my ups and my downs. Truth is more real than, than any circumstance or situation. Feelings come and go, but the truth is sustained. So whatever feelings may come or may go for you, Whatever ups or downs you may have on your spiritual journey, remember, because of Jesus, you have access. The Holy Spirit has been stamped on you, has been sealed on you. The truth is that because of Jesus, you have been adopted into God's family. We talked a lot about that last week. You have received sonship and daughtership. You have a new address, and that new address is in Christ. That's who you are. That's where you live. That's your new address. Because of your adoption, you are perfectly in Christ. That's the amazing thing. Because of what Jesus has done, we are perfectly in Christ. Yes, I know, the Christ in me still requires growth and maturity. 
There will be fumbles. There will be mess-ups. The Christ in you still still requires growth and maturity. There will be times where we fall, where we don't have it all together. But guess what? The good news of God is that even when that happens, you are still perfectly in Christ. Because you have been adopted into sonship and into daughtership. And you have the seal of the Holy Spirit to prove that. To give you access. To come back. Even when you've strayed away, you have access to God. You know, I think about it again with my in-laws who finally, eventually, they did come to visit. They finally made it to our home to visit us and they, they hadn't really been to the U.S. many times. And they thought that this part of the world was actually pretty different and pretty strange to what they were used to. They came and they were, they were really asking a lot of questions. They were wondering about why people in the USA do certain things or say certain things or why they eat certain foods. They had all of those questions. But one thing I kept reminding them of is this. That once they had access to the U.S., even though they were still fumbling around and figuring things out, they were perfectly in the United States of America. They were not perfectly American because they were still learning and growing and getting used to the new setting. And similarly with us, because of our adoption Because of your adoption into sonship and daughtership, you are perfectly in Christ. Christ in me still requires growth and maturity. Christ in you still requires growth and maturity. There will be times where we slip, but because of Jesus, because of the seal that's on us of the Holy Spirit, we are perfectly in Christ. So even when that happens, you're still perfectly in Christ because you have been adopted. You have been adopted into sonship and daughtership and marked with a seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit, which gives you access. That's what we see here in the book of Ephesians, the God-sized dreams. And it continues here in verses 18 and 20. It says this, and you can follow along in your Bibles. It says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. We get another glimpse here of these God-sized dreams, God's vision and dream for the church. When we align our will with God's will, our vision and our purpose for life increases. It becomes greater. As the church, as God's family, we are a particular people. 
We're set apart for God's purposes. That's what holiness means, that we're set apart for His purposes. So that means that we think differently and we act differently. As God's family, we participate in aligning our will with His will. These are more than just commands. Alignment actually gives us a new pair of glasses, just like the ones that I'm wearing here today. I don't wear these often, but I wanted to make the illustration. Some of you maybe didn't even know that I wore glasses, but I wear lenses every single Sunday. But I am absolutely dependent on glasses. I remember the first time I ever wore glasses, I was so used to blurred vision. This was when I was in junior high, and I got a pair of glasses, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was like, oh my goodness, life could be like this? I was so used to blurred vision, I thought that's what it was supposed to be. But then after the eye exam and new glasses and contacts, I was opened up to so many new realities. And it's the same thing when we align our will with God's will. That opens up so many new realities We don't have to conform to just the blurred vision or settling for that. But let's be clear about this. If we are refusing that alignment, if we're refusing that, then we're refusing greater vision. We're refusing clarity. Ultimately, aligning our will with God's will is for the sake of giving us greater vision, greater peace, greater clarity, Because here's the truth, when I choose to live in my will, that's going to lead to constant stress, constant anxiety, and even constant insanity when it's just about me and my way and my will be done. And I mean insanity in the definition that the late Albert Einstein once gave, right? What's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That's what self-will will lead us to. But aligning our will with God's will leads to greater peace, to greater joy, and to greater clarity. And this, greater, this alignment requires trust. It requires trust and surrender, which also means giving up control. So many think, well, Pastor, I liked it up until that point. (laughs) This whole giving up control part. To align our will with God's will requires giving up control. And you know what? Don't argue with me. Argue with Jesus about it. In Matthew 10.39, we see that reminder once again where he reminds us of this. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it. When we're living on self-will, we lose our lives. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we align our will with God's will. Our lives can take a couple of different routes. I can say, it's my will. It's all about me. Or we can say, Lord, your will be done. These are two very different places that will lead to very different outcomes. It's like being at the fork in the road, choosing one road or another. They're going to lead to different places. But I'll guarantee you this. 
If my life is just all about me and my will, my world is going to become smaller and smaller and smaller. We will become petty people, really anxious about things that do not matter. But on the other hand, when we step in to something bigger, our life can take a different path. When we start with the posture and say, Lord, your will be done. Align my will with your will by the power of your Holy Spirit. That can be your prayer today. That can be your prayer this week. Lord, your will be done. Align my will with your will by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do it, God. I can't do it on my own. You must work your purposes in and through me. Jesus is completely aware of this. And this is why I believe that Jesus himself talks so much about trust, surrender, and yielding our will. In Matthew 6.33, and we'll end with this verse, we really see a verse that has meant so much in my life. It's been a verse that I pray every single morning, including this morning. Matthew 6.33, it talks about aligning our will with God's will. And it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. The call to alignment is not just God barking in order at us so that we groan as we do it, but aligning our will with God's will is about entering into a bigger story a God-sized story, a God-sized dream. It's about us as the family of God thriving, being who we were created to be. So my prayer, friends, brothers, sisters, is that together as a church, as individuals, may we yield and trust the Holy Spirit to align our will with God's will. May we receive the gift of alignment so that we may joyfully partner with God in accomplishing these God-sized dreams of restoring all of humanity, all of creation back to Himself and of being this new people that comes out of brokenness. God is able to do something new, something beautiful in order that we may fulfill our life purpose as active members in God's family. But friends, brothers, sisters, above all, may we be the church. May we be the family of God. May we enter into our true identity, sons and daughters of a king and a heavenly father. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we've heard your word proclaimed, and we've meditated on it, Lord. We don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to a much bigger story that begins with what you have done, Lord. We all have different purposes. We all have different calls, Lord. But we pray, Lord, that today you would be able to align our will with your will. Align our vision with your vision, God. Align our dreams with your dreams, God. 
Help us, Lord. We can't do it on our own. But we thank you, Lord, that when we place our faith, when we place our trust in Jesus, we have a gift, the gift of your spirit, the gift of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And it's this same spirit, Lord, that serves as the seal, as the stamp that gives us access to you, Lord God. Lord, as we gain access, would you give us the courage to yield to you, Lord, to align our will with your will, God. That's our prayer this morning, that above all, your will be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We pray all this in the faithful name of Jesus. Amen.